Hey everyone, welcome to Afraid Not, episode number 11. I'm Robin Wall. And I'm Jill McCormick. We're so glad you are listening in today, and you're going to get to hear the story that Susan Cook shares, which is powerful and a really great example of a godly woman. And I just want to give her a shout out today. Susan is an absolutely phenomenal preschool minister for our church, First Baptist Church of Owasso, and she's the women's ministry coordinator. And she is just top shelf, you guys. She's amazing. She does her work with excellence. She makes a difference for the kingdom of God every single day. She is such a fantastic leader, and she equips leaders around her. I mean, seriously, she's amazing. She's one of the most amazing people I've ever known. She is, and she's going to talk about walking through an abusive relationship in marriage and then getting out of that. So if you've ever been through anything abusive, dealt with a narcissistic personality, um, gone through divorce, or know anybody that has dealt with those things, which most of us have, this episode is for you. And Susan, really, one of the things that she's going to share with you is that you don't have to be afraid. And she commented as we were setting up today that the name of our podcast really strikes a chord with her because it's a play on the words, afraid not, and how we all are, we could be afraid of what we're going through. And she says, God tells us not to be afraid. And so even though things get so messy and so hard and start to come apart at the seams, that we do not have to fear because God has us. So listen in to Afraid Not, episode 11. Hi, Susan. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm glad you asked me. Me too. We have been really wanting to have you on Afraid Not since we actually got started with this. So we're honored and thrilled you came today. Thank you. Well, why don't we start, um, just give us a kind of a peek into your life, your family, what you do for a living, all that. Okay. I am a minister at First Baptist Church Owasso and I've been full-time for about eight years. I have four daughters um, that range in age from 22 to 29. I have five amazing grandkids, and I have three girls and two boys um, that are really a joy to me. I've lived in Owasso for 32 years, and in Owasso and various other places in Oklahoma, I've served on church staffs as well. Um, I have my bachelor's uh, in elementary education, and I, it was back when, you know, you got the K through 8, and so I have the yeah. K through 8. Um, and I'm currently working on my master's in uh, pastoral counseling with a cognitive and life coaching. And there it goes, Susan. That's awesome. Well, I've just thoroughly enjoyed it because it has also been good for me. It's kind of helped me make some sense out of stuff in my own life so that I mm-hmm. could help other people. Yeah, and we'll get into all that too. Yeah. And aren't you yeah. at your halfway point? Yes, I actually. Or even past it? Yes. Yay. Praise the Lord. That is huge. After this semester, I will have one more semester and I'll be finished. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you'll graduate in December? Well, actually, no. I was supposed to, but um, I am going to take a semester off to spend some extra time with my mom Mm -hmm. um, because she is getting a little bit older, and I don't want to look back and think, I should have spent more time with her, but I was in such a hurry to get my master's that I didn't. So I will graduate in May of 2020. Okay. 
I love it. So, so you moved, you've been here 32 years. What was your growing up like? Did you live, where did you live then? I grew up in Stillwell, Oklahoma. Okay. My dad delivered me. And oh my I know it's really cool. Um, so I, a doctor? Yes, oh, wow. yes. He's an, an MD. So this wasn't a situation like just on the side of the road. <laughs> Husband, you got to do this. This is his job. Yeah, yeah. This was his job. And so he was a medical doctor in Stillwell. And later on, uh, he and my mom started doing counseling as well. And he preached. They traveled all over everywhere. And that's kind of how I grew up. Uh, we would spend uh, the summer months, as soon as school was out, we would leave and go to the Northwest United mm-hmm. States and spend the entire summer ministering. Um, my dad would preach and my mom would teach. We would sing and teach kids. And so I just grew up in a ministering family. That's so sweet. A traveling evangelistic family. Yes. Singing girls. Yes. Love it. Yeah. And I didn't realize what an impact that was making on my life growing up. In fact, sometimes I was kind of put out with the whole thing because <laughs> everybody else was going to the lake and all those things. And I was getting in our trailer and leaving town. And so at that time, I felt like I was missing out on a lot. But then as an adult, I look back and I think it, that really paved the way for many things in my life. So God knew all about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Well, here's an important question. What do your grandchildren call you? Oh, I'm Nana. Nana. I'm Nana, except KJ calls me Nanny, and I'm, it's just kind of, and nobody else does, but KJ calls me Nanny, and that's okay. I just always <laughs> say, as long as they call me, that's the thing, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they adore you. You're an amazing Nana. <laughs> Thanks. We have a lot of fun. We do. We <laughs> do. Um, I, that's one of my favorite things. Um, is Nana Adventures. I like to plan fun things to do, and sometimes it's nothing more than making a tent in the living room and having a picnic, but I like to do things that maybe will make a memory, and so that's fun. That's so great. So tell us about your ministry role at First Baptist Owasso, where we both attend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, I started off um, on the women's ministry team a long, long time ago. I'm not even sure how long. Uh, Because I have a real passion for women and walking life with them. And so I was honored to be asked to do that. And then um, our preschool minister uh, stepped down. And, well, let me go back just a second. It's kind of a funny story. I always wanted to get those younger moms in women's ministry, but they're just so busy. And so it was this gap. You know, you had, we couldn't seem to get the young moms to stuff for women's ministry. So I started praying that God would show me what I needed to do to get those young moms involved. Mm -hmm. And then about a year later, Chad asked me um, if I would consider being the preschool minister. And I said, well, let me pray about it. And I went home and I thought, well, that wasn't really what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't what I had in mind. I didn't really mean I wanted to be the preschool minister at the church. (laughs) I'd done that before, and I knew what was involved in that. But, you know, it's like the Lord said, well, you asked me. And so now you get to be a part of their lives. And... And did you already have your elementary background, like your bachelor's degree? So it kind yes. of fit everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So eight years later, I I love it. You know, I love it. I love being a part of their families and watching their children be born. And well, not actually watching them, but right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not being right there in the room. But. Yeah, I know. But you know, just getting to be a part of their lives, and then later on, seeing them go into the children's ministry or student ministry, and watching them come to know the Lord, and know that the women, the people who helped me in my preschool. We had just a little part of that, you know, building their foundation to come to know Christ. 
So. Oh, and, and Susan has such a heart for what she's doing. There are many, many stories of families being connected to our church because of the preschool ministry. A specific friend that's coming to my mind that has found a great place for her children to love coming to church for a first-time experience with church has made all the difference for this family. So that's just one of many that I can think of that the preschool ministry is really what drew them to our church. Yeah, I love to hear that. Isn't that cool? That is so cool, yeah. Yeah. Well, and when people feel like their kids are okay during a church service, it makes it easier for them to go to church and not worry about it or what are they doing or are they okay? So it just that's for the whole family. Yeah. Well, I, my hope is that when they come that we'll incite wonder about who God is and that they'll be able to discover that church is a safe place to be and uh, they're safe and secure and that Jesus is the foundation for that. And then... We get to just love them and watch that unfold. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I know you have four beautiful girls, and they're, several of them are moms already themselves. And so just what's it like being a mom for moms? <laughs> well, I haven't gotten to do that. It's, yes. it's going to be down the road hopefully someday for me, but I'm not there yet. Maybe it's Jill. <laughs> nope. Well, I tell you what I've learned is that the hardest stage you're in is the one you're in. You know, when you have a preschooler, mm, a it's you just think, will I survive preschool? Mm-hmm. And then your kids get a little bit bigger, and then I have four daughters, so then the drama starts, you know. Drama, drama, drama. The drama. And so then you think, will I ever, you know, will we get past this? And then, um, so I have this little thing I tell moms. I say that preschool years, you spend, them in the, spend it in the floor, you know, you're playing and spinning yes. it on the floor. Then elementary years, um, you need to spin it at the side of the bed, talking about their day and their life and being a part of their life. Uh, in middle school and high school, that's caught in the car and hopefully at the table, and you just hope that you can grab a moment, you know, to be a part of their life. And then when you have college and beyond, you're back in the floor because you're praying for them to make wise decisions. So it's this full circle. You oh, start off true. in the floor, and you wow. end up in the floor. That's that's very... That's really good. Absolutely yeah. true. Wow. So tell us... So you're are, you're not currently married. No. So I'm do not. you want to talk about that and, and your situation in your family life? Sure. Sure. Um, I might just say that um, I love the name of your podcast, Afraid not, because so many things in our lives we're afraid, mm-hmm. um, and we don't have to be. And so um, there's actually been three specific trials. Uh, the first two I'm not going to talk about much, but the third one I will. But um, when I got married the first time, I married. I was going to OBU, and uh, I met a young preacher named John, and we uh, got married in, in January, and in February, he got really, really sick. Um, and so uh, my, we went back home to see my dad, and he kind of just did this assessment, you know, and sent us straight to Tulsa to see a neurologist. And what we found out is that he had a brain tumor and probably had had it since he was a little boy. But it was such a slow-growing tumor that he hadn't really had any symptoms or signs. And so to make a very long story short, um, every February something significant happened. 
So he was diagnosed in February. The next February, he had an aneurysm. The next February, he had a major surgery. And the next February, he died. And so it was very, that was a very difficult journey. Um, and there you were, such a young little wife. Yeah, I was only 20. Dealing with incredibly incredibly sorrowful and hard times. Yes. Well, and I, you know, growing up in the home that I grew up in, what I wanted to do is grow up and be my mom. So I wanted to have this house with, you know, you visualize this little picket fence with children frolicking in the yard and, you know, all these happy things. And then, you know, I got married and my life literally fell apart. And, um, and then when he died, you know, I was 23 turning 24, and all my friends were getting married and having babies, and I was a widow. And oh. so I was like this enigma, you know, <laughs> where do I go to class? What do I do? I don't right. really fit anywhere. And so I had to really, um, really, really rely on the Lord. Um, and it was difficult at times. Um, to be honest, there was a time when I was driving back and forth when he was having uh, radiation therapy. I was so in the depths of despair that I literally thought about just driving under a semi and being done because I was in so such deep despair. Um, mm. And God knew that, you know. God knew where I was. And at times, you know, when you feel like you're all alone, you're just not. He is always there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, we just feel like we're at the end of our rope. But um, my, my John died in February. And then the same year in April, I was driving my grandparents back from my sisters in Lawton, and my, we stopped to get gas, and my, I called him my papa. Um, my papa slumped over in my car, and uh, when he handed me his billfold, he wanted to pay for my gas. And about four hours later, he died, and he had thrown a blood clot. And so that was really hard because first I lost John, and then I lost my papa, who was kind of this gentle giant mm-hmm. and kind of a hero in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and to make it worse— and that literally was a month later or two months? Yeah, it was two months later. Later. So it was all in the same year. Oh. Um, and so he was, we buried my, uh, my papa and, right around my birthday. And uh, so every year, you know, it, it's a sad but a good reminder of who he was. And so God walked me through that. And then leading to the third um, really big episode in my life, um, I grew up in Stillwell, you know, and uh, There was um, a young man that I went to high school with, and he worked on my parents' farm, and I was just really was kind of part of our family. Um, He had asked me out several times, and I wouldn't go out with him because I just kind of felt like he was my brother, you know? (laughs) And so I I just felt like it'd be awkward. So I never went out with him, and he actually was the best man in mine and John wedding when we got, not not the best man, he was an usher Mm -hmm. um, in my wedding. And so he had just kind of been a part of my life growing up. And uh, when when John died, um, we were going to the same church and we just kind of, you know, started talking and stuff again. And um, I thought he was this really safe person because, you know, somebody I grew up with and I thought I knew him really well. And uh, so many things in our dating I have later learned are not good things to do uh, just from a counseling purpose, but uh, which, you know, if I'd known more, I would have seen some warning signs, but I didn't. And I was so not wanting to be a widow. You know, mm-hmm. I so wanted mm-hmm. to get married and be happy and have kids. And I really didn't give myself time to heal from mm-hmm. all of that. You right. know, I, and we didn't like just jump right in and start dating and get married. It wasn't like that, but. 
when you go through something traumatic, you need time to heal. You need to be able to get wise counsel. You need to find some safe friends. Mm -hmm. You need to deal with the junk in your life so that if the Lord allows you to get married or whatever Mm -hmm. again in your life, you don't bring all that with you. And so... I would like to stop you just for a second because there may be a lady listening right now who is in those shoes today. So what... And you said, I wish I had known what I know now from counseling and what I've learned about warning signals. What are some things that you see looking over your shoulder now that were warning signals, but you just didn't know that they were warning signals in your dating? And what were you thinking of when you said that? Well, you should never go into a relationship to be rescued. Hmm. That's never a good idea. Um, And if you are dating somebody or you're seeing somebody that's really controlling, they want to tell you how to do pretty much everything, that's not a good thing either. Because what I've learned is, is that if you're not dating somebody who will let you be you Mm -hmm. and not want to change you and who you are and who God made you to be, then you shouldn't be with them. Mm. Right. Because often we think, well, um, I've talked to so many women and they're like, well, He'll change. And no, no, he won't. In fact, whatever that is kind of bothering you when you're dating just multiplies when you get married because then, you know, you're with them all the time. And so Mm, those things that kind of drove you crazy are just going to really drive you crazy. Uh, But I think the biggest thing was just the control issue. And um, So even when you were dating, would your boyfriend say, I really want you to do this and that and just tell you? Yeah, and so I am a people pleaser, not so much now as I was, but I wanted everybody to like me, and I want, and there's not anything wrong with wanting people to like you, but you still have to be able to remain who God made you to be. Mm-hmm. And if you can't be, if you can't be, let's say that you're a real outgoing person and you're out on a date and you're just being yourself, and the person you're dating looks over at you with this look like they're, they're displeased you know, then that's a bad thing because they're not allowing you to be who God made you to be. Mm. Now, and I'm not talking about like, you know, being uncouth or something. I'm just talking about you're just being who God is yourself. You're being who God created you to be. And so you you can't be afraid to be who God made you to be. And there is somebody out there who will let you do that. And it will be a perfect compliment for that. Um, so you just have to be careful. You can't think you're going to change them. You can't think it's going to get better. Um, you can't, i tell you something else I learned. And also that in counseling, my counselor told me, um, I might just put a plug in here that when I grew up, people didn't go to counseling unless like they were like going to kill themselves kind of thing. I mean, it was this horrific thing. Nobody went to counseling. There's a stigma with it. Yes. Um, the greatest thing I ever did was go to counseling. Absolutely. And so I would just say that if you're on a rock and you're going, I don't know, should I? Then you should. Mm-hmm. Because I think everybody should go to counseling and talk to somebody who's safe, who can just help you find godly direction. And when I say counselor, I, a godly counselor, somebody who's going to lead you towards right. Christ. And I think sometimes people don't want to go to counseling because they go the first few times and it's hard. Mm-hmm. And those, and I tell them those first few times are rough and you're laying everything out on the mm-hmm. table and having to look at it. Mm-hmm. Then you got to put those pieces back together. But if you don't complete it, you right. just opened everything. Right. And yeah. And they just quit. 
So yeah, then they you, don't want to go back. Right, because yeah. they get mad or they get uncomfortable and they're just right. like, well, I don't want to be like that. And so, but you have to get past that in order to get better. Mm-hmm. And so. And we encourage everyone would say when you have someone that you love or if it's yourself that has something wrong, a broken arm mm-hmm. or whatever, you must get it taken care of or it will get worse. Yes. But for some reason, the stigma has been that if you take care of the inner self, that that somehow means you're weak. Right. But it's not weakness. Right. It is wisdom right. and strength to get those things right. taken care of. So they will heal like a broken arm can heal in a cast. The wise counsel leads us to healing on the right. inside. Right. Okay, so that was a really awesome soapbox. So now let's get back <laughs> because I love what we just said. That where were we in your in your story? Well, he invited me. Well, let me back up. He came over uh, in the summers and started mowing my lawn. I have really bad allergies, and mm-hmm. so mowing the lawn is a bad thing for me. And so, and he knew that, so he would never come in. He was a gentleman, but he would come over and mow my lawn and do stuff to help me. And then uh, that just kind of turned into, um, um, you know, spending a little bit more time together. One of the things that he wouldn't date me unless I changed my name back to my maiden name, which that should have been a really red flag. Oh. I, mm. It wasn't, and I was just like, okay. And I think I was just like, okay, because I was just so desperate for wanting. And I knew that because he had pursued me for so long, I knew that I could manipulate the situation and I could probably get him. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was this really great godly man, so I think, I'm just going to manipulate my life and, and I'm going to make this happen. Um, and I did. I did that. Um, but anyway, I changed my name back to my maiden name because he wanted me to. And like I said, that should have been a big red flag. Um, but we started dating and literally, I mean, like he kind of swept me off my feet. We did all kinds of just these really romantic things. And, uh, then we got married and about a month after we got married, um, things kind of started changing a little bit. Um, it was almost as if I had been something that I had been something that he wanted for so long that once he got me, he didn't want anybody else to have me. And so, and if I did do other things or if I went home and spent the weekend with my family, with my parents, I never did that without asking first. You know, is it okay if I go? I'd like to go this weekend and blah, blah, blah. And and he would say yes, but then when he, he would, I would call him, say, hey, I made it safe and all that, I immediately would just start getting this lecture about how I'm supposed to leave my mother and my father and cleave to my husband and all of that. And I would say, but you said I could go. I mean, I asked you, you were in on this. Mm -hmm. And he goes, yeah, well, you just need to remember. You need to remember what your role is. And so I was constantly reminded about, mm -hmm, I was constantly reminded about, you know, I was disrespectful. I was unsubmissive. Um, I cared about other people more than him. And it got so bad that when we would just even ride in the truck, I would just look out the window. Just, you know, I think I was trying to pretend like I wasn't there. Um, I sat down probably within the first six months on my bed and literally said out loud to the Lord, what have I done? What, What have I done? I've got myself in a worse place than I was before. But... Believing that I'd made a covenant with God, then I felt like there was nothing that I could do. And so that turned into 
28 years of just wanting to, um, well, just growing deeper and deeper within myself. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Instead of really being myself. And the hard thing was, is that um, he was a deacon. um, He was a Sunday school teacher. He was a greeter at the door. Everybody loved him. He was talkative and funny, joked around with people. I used to tell people, if he's not giving you a hard time, he probably doesn't like you because he just kind <laughs> mm-hmm. of bo- harassed everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, if I, looking back now, um, I saw the way that he would kind of harass his mom, and I didn't put it together that if he harassed his mom, he might harass me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what happened. I, I tell my girls, you should look at the way a son treats his mother. Right. Mm-hmm. Because if he doesn't treat his mother with respect, he's probably not going to treat you with respect. And if he is in a joking, supposedly funny way, being mean to his mom, he's going to think that's funny when you get married someday. And he's going to do that to you. And that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so did he have a good relationship with his mom and she was okay with this, him talking to her that way? Or was it just he was just vicious with her? Well, no. I mean, they they joked around and laughed. I think that it, she had just done it for so long, and he'd done it so long. It was just part of their relationship. It's just something they learned. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, sometimes I would see her, you know, kind of just get mad at him, but then she'd go in the kitchen and wash dishes or, you know, whatever. Um, and I just didn't put it together. You know, I thought, well, that's just their dynamic, you know. But that was just kind of who he was. Um, when I went to counseling, uh, my counselor was talking to me about people who are narcissistic. Mm-hmm. And she said, she gave me a website to go look at, and I wish I could tell you what that is. But um, but there's several websites you can go to that just says if you think you're dating a narcissistic person or um, if you think that you're married to a narcissistic person. It gives you signs of what that is. And this particular website had like 20 or 25 different things. She said, I want you to go home. Your assignment this week is to go home and look up this website, and I want you to see how many of those things you saw in your marriage. And I want to say there's 25, and like 22 of the 25 I'd witnessed in my marriage. Wow. And one of the things that I hadn't witnessed oh was um, him being physically abusive. He'd been verbally abusive. Um for years, um, with me and my daughters, but he had not been physically abusive till closer towards the end. Um, my younger daughter, uh, they would kind of spar back and forth a little bit. Um, my my daughter, my third daughter, she could do it and it was fine. But my my youngest daughter, if she did that with him, he would come against her and. Uh, Is she more strong-willed, do you think? Oh, yeah. yeah. She's definitely more strong Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know her. Yeah. <laughs> I love her. She's, but she's, she wouldn't take it. Yeah. No. In fact, one of the things that we hated the most was Sunday lunches. Because when Did we you would, dread those? Oh, gosh. Yes. Sunday lunches were horrible because we would come home and he would drill them about what we heard and why they weren't doing something. And it was like... And what should be just like this 30-minute great, let's talk about church Sunday lunch, would turn into sometimes an hour and a half. We were just so worn down by the time we was in, we just wanted to run away. Um, But part of what happened with my youngest daughter is as she grew and learned scripture, she would call him out. 
And he would quote something, and she'd say, well, that's not what the Bible says. And he would say, yes, it is. And she'd go get her Bible. And she'd open it up, and she'd say, this is what the I Bible says. I love that girl. Wow. <laughs> She's awesome. She is awesome, but what that did was just made him be mm. meaner to her. And the last, close to the last night that he was at home, um, I don't know exactly what she was doing. I think she was just, he was sitting in front of her, and I think she was either tapping his shoulder or something. No, and really... What she was doing is she wanted attention. She wanted him to turn around and be a dad, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And what he turned around, he turned around and pulled his arm back like he was going to hit her. And he said, don't ever do that again. And for me as a mom, I was like, okay, bud, you've crossed the line. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. if you come against my kids, mm-hmm. you know, I, um, that's, you're crossing the line. And was so, she reacting in a, a step back, like a fearful, oh, no, he really, really almost hit me? Or did she just stand there? No, she it, got up and went to her room. Okay. She, she got up and went to her room. Um, but it was, just, it was just things where um, you have to have a relationship with your kids. And if you don't have a relationship with your kids, then you can't expect them to respect you. And he was constantly in their face, you know, telling them, well, you don't respect me, you don't respect me. And I would say, not in front of them, but I would say, um, you don't have a relationship with them. And yes, they should respect you, absolutely. They should respect you, but you don't have a relationship with them. And so they don't respect you because you don't have a relationship with with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But he would just do really mean things. And he got where he would come home less and less, you know, like later in the evening. And uh, I would say, gosh, we missed you at dinner or whatever. And he would say, well, you know, I had to work late. And so I was like, okay. Um, and to be honest, sometimes when he didn't come home till late, it was kind of nice because our home was more peaceful. Mm-hmm. And that probably sounds bad, but it was just more yeah. peaceful. Um, but then it got, he started getting up on Saturday mornings early and he would say, um, I'm going to go walk at the park with, I can't remember who he said, it was another man. We're going to go, we're just getting our exercise. I'm going to go walk at Centennial Park. I'm like, okay, well, I thought that was weird. Um, but, you know, he did that several mornings. And then one night in the middle of the night, his phone rang, and he was always on the phone a lot but wouldn't let me see his screen. Like we'd be at dinner and the mm-hmm. phone would ring and he would look at it and then he would put it, you know, not take the call or whatever, or he'd look at the text message and then he'd put it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kept from you Yeah, Yeah, I couldn't look at his phone because he said, uh, well, he's in politics, and he said that the county wouldn't let anybody look at the phone but him, that it was he would get in mm-hmm. trouble if anybody looked at the phone but him. And at first I thought, well, okay, you know, but then later on as it just got to be more and more, I'm like, I don't know if I believe that. And he would always say, you just don't know what I do. If you knew what I really did. Um, then, you know, you would know. And then later on, you know, as things started calling, kind of falling apart, I thought, yeah, I really don't know what you're doing because mm. I didn't know what you were doing. Um, but one night when I, when I caught him the first time, um, he said he was going to Applebee's to watch a ball game. And I think I'd gone to a women's ministry meeting or something. We were both going to be gone. And so I got off a little early, and I got home, and he wasn't there. And I thought, well, that's weird. And so I thought, I'm just going to drive up to Applebee's. And so I drove up there, and his truck wasn't there. And I thought, well, that's weird. And I, I had suspected for a while that he and his administrative assistant were more than just friends, but I didn't have anything I could really, you know, 
point to. Had you brought that up to him before? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I had said, I feel like, um, I feel like she looks at you as more than a boss. Mm-hmm. And he'd say, no, she doesn't. We're, you know, we're just together all the time. And I, and I said, you know, Pastor Chris says that you should never uh, be alone with someone you work with, a woman. You should always have a third person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, I feel like you guys eat together too much and you travel together too much. And I feel like if, and I understand with your job, you know, she accompanies you to a lot of things. Um, but I feel like that's not good. You should take separate cars. And he would say, well, again, you know, you don't know what I'm doing and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and so... Would that make him angry when you asked or would he just brush it off? If I ever said anything about his integrity, it set him off. You know, don't ever question my integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably the thing that would set him off the most is if I or anyone else questions his integrity or called him out. Um, that really... And then, like, if someone at church called him out for something, even in private, it became a joke at home. Like, he'd make a joke out of their name, or he would in front of the kids. Um, so, you know, he was not only disrespecting and being not having integrity at home, but he also would bring things home, and then, and that's not good, you know, either. Um, so I drove to where I knew she lived, and his truck was there. Oh, wow. And so she lived in a cul-de-sac, so I pulled at the end of the cul-de-sac, and I called him. And I said, hey, what you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm just watching the ball game. I said, oh, at Applebee's? And he said, yeah, I just it's not quite over yet. And I said, well, you know, I was just at Applebee's, and your truck wasn't there. And he goes, well, you probably just didn't see it. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I know what your truck looks like. I said, but, in fact, um, I'm down at the end of her cul-de-sac, and your truck is sitting right in front of her house. And he said, no, it's not. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty so sure So he's trying to tell you that you're not seeing what you're seeing. Yes, yes. Because everything was always my fault or the kid's fault. And see, that's part of narcissism, is nothing is ever their fault. Um, when he left... Um, you know, men of the church went after him. You know, Pastor oh, yes. Chris met yes. with him every oh, yes. single Friday. He did. Um, trying to just help him to see, and he always said, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not having an affair. I'm, I'm not. And he just, and he would just blatantly lie. Um, and then if they called him out on it, then, you know, he would get, you know, get mad. Um, but that was probably the first time when I was sitting in the car waiting when he came home, and I rolled down the window, I said, you, you should get in the car. We need to talk. And so, and he just blatantly denied everything. And then he just got out of the car and slammed the door, and I got out of the car, and it was the first time I think I almost had a panic attack because it was like everything in my life was, at that moment, really turning upside down. All the things that I suspected might be true were confirmed. Mm-hmm. And... I just got in the car and went and drove around because I didn't want to go in the house and be a mess because my kids were all up and all of that, and I didn't want to bring them into anything at this time. You know, Were you just pinballing every emotion oh. all over the map? Yes, yes. I was angry, but I was so sad. Mm-hmm. I just was like, you know, everything that he had said that he was all of a sudden, and I just, you know, it's one of those things you just kind of, you know, but you're like, you no. You know what I mean? 
it's like, I think this is happening, but then in you your... You want to not... Yes, you're like, no, this is not happening. This happens to other people, but this right. is not happening to me. It's not. We go to church. Yeah. We're big in church. It doesn't yes. happen to us. Yeah. And then, so I went in, and it was like, you know, he tried to talk his way out of that, which he did many times, and... um just a series of things, um, you know, that I would talk to him about. And um, on Valentine's Day, um, we were going to go out to eat, and I had asked him to write uh, write me. A, I said, don't buy me anything. Don't buy me a card. Just write me a note. I want you to write, and I'll do the same thing for you. Um, let's just write each other a love note about why we love each other and and all of that. So we went out to eat, and as soon as we got in the truck, he started wanting to talk about things. And I said, you know what? I just really want us to just not talk about anything after we eat. Let's just enjoy one another. Let's talk about our family, and let's talk about the Lord. And we'll talk about all of that when we start home. Is that okay? I mean, I'd like to. And he said, sure. So we went to to dinner, and after we got through, I kind of slid my note over, and I said, um, here's my note. And he took it and he read it and he said, because in the note I said, it's not the big things in life that make uh, it wonderful. It's not the big things in life that make the memories. It's the little things. And mm-hmm. I said, and I miss the little things in our relationship. And he just looked at me with like this look and he said, it is the little things. Just like that. And I said, he said, I didn't write you a note. I'm like, oh, oh Okay. Oh. So we're driving back, and he kind of started the conversation, and he said, I've realized that I have an anger issue. And I was like, oh, well, yes, you do. And, and you've had one for a long time. And he said, so I've decided that um, I'm going to move in with my mom for a little while so I can go to counseling and get a handle on my anger. And I said, I think that's a great idea because I really felt like he needed to get out of the house for a while because it was that week before they did almost hit my younger daughter. And it was just so volatile in our house. So I said, I think that might be a good idea. Why don't you go stay with your mom for a while, go to counseling? And I said, and then whenever you get to the point, maybe we can both go to counseling Mm -hmm. and we can rebuild our marriage. And he said, okay. So that I think that was a Saturday, and then that Sunday we were, we had snow, and so he didn't go with us to church because he he often went out and worked with his people, you know, on when the roads were bad, and so when we got home from church that Sunday night, um, he was sitting in the rocking chair with his coat on, and the girls just kind of came in and said hi and went to their rooms, uh, which had kind of gotten to be a pattern, you know, just to not be in the same the same room. And I said, are you going now? And he goes, yeah, I've already got my stuff in the truck. I'm like, oh, well, all right. Um, No hug, no kiss goodbye, just left. And then he didn't come back. He didn't say goodbye to the kids. And after about three days, they were like, is he not coming back? And so... I told him to come sit on my bed, and we just sat there, and I said, I kind of just told him just a tiny bit, because you have to be really careful what you say to your kids when things are not good in your home, because mm-hmm. it makes them form opinions that are they don't need to form. Mm-hmm. And they already had enough opinions, <laughs> you know. So I told him, I said, you know, here's the thing. I said, I don't know when or if he's coming back. I don't. 
I said, but no matter what happens, he's always going to be your dad. And I said, no matter what happens, if, if he doesn't come back or he does come back, I said, he's going to always be your dad, and you need to always respect him and if you can. And you need to try to have a relationship with him because even if he chooses not to have one with me, um, he'll always be your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he just never came back. Um, I would text him and stuff, you know, and he would send back like one word things, and then he just stopped replying to my text. And then at Easter, um, I had got a note in my mailbox that said I had a, a package in the mail. You know, I had to go pick it up. And then I thought, well, you know, it's Easter weekend. It's so busy. And so uh, Monday morning, a friend of mine called me and she said, Susan, I just was looking in the Claremore paper. Are you aware? Is that you? You found out from the paper that he filed for divorce? Well, I actually found, well, I found out from her, and she said, I, don't, I just don't want you to be blindsided. I don't want you to, like, go to town, and somebody said, oh, I saw in the paper you're getting divorced, and you don't even know it. I think right. you need to know. And, and oh. I, I said, I appreciate you telling me that, because, no, I have no, I have no idea. And, and so in my head still I'm thinking, yeah, no. There was another, and so I thought, it's probably them. And so when I got to church after staff prayer time, I just went into Chris's office and I said, I need you to look this up. And I can't look this up. I need you to look it up and just tell me that this is not us. And so he looked it up and he turned the laptop around and he goes, I'm so sorry. It is you. And, and this is on Easter? This was the Monday after Easter. The Monday after yeah. Easter. So um, was... You know, there's no good timing, but when things that are tragic happen in your life around a holiday, it's just always a remembrance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so Valentine's Day is kind of always a remembrance. February's are always hard. Yeah, I Uh, almost interjected like, oh my goodness, another February. It was another February. And so like February is black. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what though? (laughs) No, and I, one of the things I've learned is that you have to create new memories where where bad memories are. Mm -hmm. And so I try to do something fun every February. Like this last February, I went, uh, well, actually, like a month ago, um, I went to see my sister in Charlotte and spent four or five days with her just creating new memories because you have to do that. Yes, You have to replace bad memories with good memories. So sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to relive going someplace that was bad in order to make it better. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yes. Wise. It's very wise. So anyway, I started down this path that I never thought I'd be on. Um, It's the death of a dream and a vision. And even though my marriage was not good, you still think that it's going to be forever, you know, and you've made this covenant. And you never would have left. I would never have left. You never would have. No. Yeah. Yeah. There's no divorce in my family that I know of ever. I mean, which is remarkable. Right. Mm -hmm. But... Part of it for me was I'm opening the door to divorce in my heritage. I'm opening this door now. This door's been closed in our family for years and years and years, and I'm opening the door. But honestly, you had no say in it. No. You could not do it. Well, and I think you could not change him. No, I tried. You're also opening a door of that you don't have to live like this. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times as Christian women, as Baptist Christian women, we feel like this is what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to, it doesn't matter what they do, we're supposed to be submissive. Right. But along with that, 
they're supposed to love their wives as Jesus loved the right, church too. Right. There's two sides to that. So I think we tend to sometimes forget that part, right. and mm-hmm. then you don't have to put up with that kind of thing. Right. And exactly what you said, I went in to see um, Pastor Chris, and I was talking to him, and he said he said something about that was really freeing to me. He said, you know, most people forget that that's the second part of that passage. Because if a man will love his wife like Christ loves the church, which is the first part of that passage, she mm-hmm. will naturally submit to her husband. Mm-hmm. And th- I just have seen that over and over, um, not only in my life, but other lives of where I've seen women struggle in, in marriages that are hard, is that they feel like they're stuck, and some of them run abuse. Mm-hmm. And I don't, right. I know, I'm not, I don't think, I know that God does not intend for you to be in an abusive relationship, whether it's verbal or physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are, I mean, I would just say right here now, if you are, you need to seek help. That's you need right. to get help for yourself and your family. Um, that does not make God sad at you. It doesn't make you less of a Christian or less of an example of godliness to step out of a place that's in, where you're in danger. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I would Whether say that be verbal abuse, yes, or physical abuse, yes, or sexual abuse, any abuse, yes, yes. And in order for a marriage to be restored, and I am all for restoration. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many times where I've seen God just come in, and both parties are like, you know, whichever side messed up, or maybe they both do. It takes two people to have a problem, typically. But if both parties are willing to get wise counsel, Mm -hmm. they're willing to work on it, they absolutely should uh, seek God to help them restore their marriage. Uh, because that's what God. That's God's design. That's but one God person wants. can't do that by themselves. No, yeah. no, you can't. Um, a verse that meant a whole lot to me um, going through this was um, in Zephaniah three seventeen. It's actually has become my life verse over the last uh, eight or nine years. But it says, "The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love." He will exalt over you with loud singing. And exalt means be joyful or pleased or delighted in. And so when I was at the very bottom and I kind of felt like literally my whole world had fallen apart, because, uh, you know, when you're going through something like that, just out of the blue, you just start crying. And you're like, stop crying, stop crying, stop crying. You know, because you're just tired of crying. And you're like, I don't want to cry anymore. Um, and then I would just be reminded that the Lord is singing over me. Um, it's beautiful. It rains on the just and the unjust. And I've had so many people, in fact, even a couple of my daughters say, well, if God loves you so much, why has he let all this stuff happen to you? And I said, and I say to them just what I just said, life is messy for everyone. Mm-hmm. And when you become a believer, this safety net does not go around you where now you're not going to have any more problems Nothing bad is going to happen in your life. It's just going to be all roses now. That is not what becoming a believer is. But what it means is that when you go through really hard things in your life, you don't do it alone, ever. Mm-hmm. And the Lord has become my best friend, and He's my husband mm-hmm. in a spiritual sense. He, mm-hmm. um, he is my the father to my kids, and... Um, 
he literally is, um, he's been my salvation in more than one way. Mm-hmm. You know, he just has. Um, life is hard and life is messy, um, but God is faithful. Yes, he is. I mean, he just is. Um, there's a verse that I tell a lot of ladies, um, but it's in my own words. And so Proverbs this 3... This is the Susan paraphrase. This is the Susan <laughs> paraphrase of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So you should trust the Lord in everything, all things. And don't lean on what you understand. I didn't understand John dying. I didn't understand being abandoned and abused. I didn't understand why... My papa died, you know, almost died in my car, but then later, later did die. I didn't understand any of that. I didn't understand why I did A and B and C, and I thought D would show up because I thought I'd followed all the rules. Because that is not how, that's not life. Mm, it's right. not. You can't, there's no magic formula to make your life turn out really good. There's not. There's not. Um, God's plan for my life and for each of your lives is different. And we were created to give Him glory and praise, not so that our lives would always be wonderful. But So you don't lean on what you can understand, but you acknowledge Him in everything you do. So when something wonderful happens, you say, thank you, God. And when your journey gets rough, you say, thank you, God, because you're getting ready to learn something about Him that you would never have known had you gone through that. Um, I would ne- had I not been through uh, the death of a spouse and being abandoned and divorced, had I not been through all of that, I would not know this intimate, tender side of God. And I'm not saying you have to go through that to know that, but that's what it took for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it took for me, and God knew that. But so you acknowledge Him in everything you do, and if you do that, then He will direct your journey and your path. Um, I don't know where I'm going to be in five years, and I don't have to know. I, right. I need to know where I am today. Mm-hmm. I need to be busy doing for the Lord, but more than that, I need to be busy being with the Lord. You know, we're so busy doing, 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 doing uh, for the Lord. You know, we feel like we have to check all the boxes. Like when I was in growing up in Sunday school, we had these little envelopes, and you check, bring I your Bible, those. bring your offering. <laughs> I love checking boxes. Uh-huh. Well, yes, I did too. I, I wanted did. all my boxes checked. And so as an adult, I want all my boxes checked. And you know what? Um, that's, that's works of righteousness. Right. That right. is not what saves me. No. It's not by reading my Bible. It's not by going to church. Those things are Christian disciplines, but those are works of righteousness. So what makes me who I am is that I've trusted Christ as my Savior, and I want to be with Him more. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, I want to find places in my life where I'm just doing, 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 and Find the places where I can do the best doing for Him, but then sometimes, you know, you just have to go, I just need to go sit on the porch and be. Mm-hmm. I need to go be with God for a little while and not feel guilty about it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I need to go full clothes. I need to go cook dinner. I just need to be and, and not feel guilty about it. I think that brings uh, honor to God. Because we almost put too much stock in what we're doing, oh. that it like we're in control of it, or if we don't do this, then God's... It's not going to get done. That God needs me to do something, right? And that's 
almost making ourselves a little god. Yeah. So yeah, we're not that big a deal that we're, we think we are. <laughs> we're really not. And you know the sad the sad truth is, and I don't know, maybe it's not a sad truth, but if we if we don't do what God's called us to do, He'll find someone to do it. Right. And they're going to get the blessing, but we're going to miss it. On the other hand, if we get so busy doing this and doing that, and and typically if you look at what you're doing, they're all good things. This may not be the best thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So part of acknowledging Him is saying literally everything in your life, should I be doing this? You know, is this this the best thing for me? Should I say no to that? Um, We probably say yes to a whole lot more things than we should Mm -hmm. say yes to. I I learned that in... Lisa Turkhurst's The Best Yes. Yeah, that's a great book. It is. I would like to just say one thing more about divorce is that often when people get divorced, they think this is the end to my problem. I won't have any, you know, I'm going to get divorced, I'm going to leave this person, and then my problems will be solved. And actually what happens is, that problem may be reduced, but it opens up another box of all new problems. For instance, I've counseled several women who have minor children, and they think, well, I'll just get divorced and my life will be better. I won't have to be around this person I don't like anymore. And the truth is, divorce with minor children is like a coffin that won't close. Hmm. They want closure so bad, right? and they're not going to get it. Well, and even... At the high school level, mm-hmm. I'll have kids in my office upset about their parents not being together or something that's happened. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to the parent, they're like, we divorced five years ago. They're mm-hmm. over that. They're not ever over that. And mm-hmm. some people don't really get that. Right. Well, and one of the the first time that we met with Chris about what I was suspecting and what he was denying, um, Chris said to us, or to him specifically, if you follow and continue down this path, you're going to lose your family, you're going to lose your daughters, you're going to lose your influence, you're going to lose your integrity, you're going to lose every single thing. And he said, well, that won't happen to me. And he said, you're going to, yeah, (laughs) you're not going to, he said, you're going to lose your kids. They're not even going to want you at their weddings. They're not going to want you to give them away. And he goes, they'll get over it. But the truth is, they don't get over it. It's just like you're talking about the kids in high school. They don't get over it. It, it not only reshapes the parents' life, it totally reshapes the lives of their kids. It puts them on a whole different trajectory. Mm. Well, people have this misconception, and they'll say, well, children are resilient. They're fine. And that, to me, is the biggest lie. Yes. Because our children are resilient to a point, but they're, they're not... They don't just bounce back from everything. They're no. human beings. Yes. So I just wanted to spell that. No, and I'm glad of, you did. And and the truth is that when you get divorced and your kids are either young adults or they're adult age, it affects them in different ways because like with my daughters, they were grown pretty much grown women. And so they saw what I was going through and it's not like they were five and six. If they were five and six by the time they were 21 or 22, they might have processed all that. But now they're young adult women, and it's been three years, and I don't know when they'll get through processing that. 
You know? But I think some of theirs too is the abandonment of their dad. Oh yeah, on them. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole lot, and you know, and and it was not horrible every day. I mean, we can look back and think of really fun times we had. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like every single day was horrible, but. For them and for me, the bad times kind of outweigh the good because they're just like right there in the front. You know, they're the mm-hmm. front of what you think about. Um, so, yeah, that's true. That's true. I I know that as a mom, you would love to protect your kids in every way yes. from ever hurting. You would. And we can't. No, you can't. Um, what are some things that you have learned as you've been walking through this with your adult daughters and now that they're moms what are some words of wisdom that maybe you can share with someone in these situations themselves well one of the things that I would say is always leave the porch light on and what I mean by that is um, never get to a place with your adult kids where they don't feel like they can come home they where you've closed the door to things in their life. Um, we've had all kinds of things. I've had all kinds of things with my girls growing up that I won't go into, but some really bad things uh, where I was afraid I was going to lose them forever. Um, I have one who's just now finally, after 15 years, kind of turning a corner, uh, and I'm so thankful for it. But someone said to me once, why don't you just go up there and tell them? Just tell them. I said, well, I'll tell you why I'm not just going to go up there and tell them off. One is that is not what God would want me to do. And two, they know. They know what they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so what I would do is I would just pray that God would give me just little windows of opportunity to just sprinkle a little Jesus in. And sometimes without them even knowing it, they would just say something that would give me an opportunity to say, you know, God is just good. He is. God mm-hmm. is good. Or it would give me an opportunity to just talk to them about maybe something that's going on in their life and be able to point them back around to Christ. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that if I was in their face all the time, eventually they just wouldn't want to be in mine. And I didn't want them to feel like, you know, they've lost their dad and now, well, mom doesn't, mom's just always in my face. Mm-hmm. And so we want our kids to always know the porch light is on, that if no matter what they go through, that we're going to love them unconditionally. I mean, that's how God loves us. Right. And do you understand everything your kids do? No. Does God approve of everything we do? No. But He loves us unconditionally. And I will say sometimes that is so hard mm-hmm. to be able to see them on some path and then just, you know, and then... Like I said, it just puts you back on the floor, back in the knees, on your knees. Uh, Always leave the porch light on. Always leave it open for communication. When your kids are growing up, you know, I said um, in the elementary years, you should spend it on the side of the bed. Um, You need to talk to your kids about everything. Uh, You be the one that tells them about life instead of their friends. You be the ones that has those honest transparent conversations with them about life so that when they get older and adult things start happening in their life, they go, you know, I can go talk to mom about that because she's right. not going to act like I'm stupid or that I right. should know that. Right. Um, and then part of being a parent uh, in, with adult kids is listening. You have to listen a lot. 
and not try to interject everything. Sometimes they just need to talk and then get a hug. And so I would say, you know, definitely leave the porch light on and definitely keep communication open with your kids. It's really good words of wisdom. So when you said that um, you had to push yourself in and you lost some of yourself when you were with him, how hard was that to get yourself back afterwards? Well. Could you find it? Yeah, yes, but it takes time because when you go through a divorce, and I think almost anybody would tell you this, when you go through a divorce, you are like, I don't even know who I am anymore. And I had been so, I don't know, pushed down for so long that I wasn't sure what I should be like when I came out, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Um, like what your identity Yeah, who am I? Like. Right. Who am I? And, you know, part of sharing our identity is a good thing. Like, I was my daughter's mom. I was uh, my husband's wife. I was the um, public official's representation. I was, you know, I was the deacon's wife. You know, all of that. So part of sharing your identity is good because that's just part of becoming, you know. Is your, that's part of what we do. We spread ourselves out. We're, mm-hmm. We have many roles, many hats. But in sharing those hats, if you, if you lose who you are, who God created you to be, and that's what I had done. You know, I had a hard time laughing, and, you know, I, I was really good at it. You know, just my girls would go, that's your fake laugh, Mom. <laughs> they, they could call you on it. Yeah, they'd go, that's your fake laugh, Mom. Um, because you just kind of get where you play the role, mm-hmm. you know. But one of the things that I think helped me find myself again was I read a book by Ann Voskamp called A Thousand Gifts. And I am a a visual learner, so I need to see it. And she writes in these really beautiful word pictures. And so where I gave this book to my mom to read after my dad died, and she goes, I just kind of got lost after chapter three. But (laughs) for me, she was a perfect writer for me. Um, and what she talks about all throughout the book is finding things in your life to be grateful for, um, about perspective in life. And how we look at our life makes a huge difference with how we process life. And so as I started reading that, I the Lord prompted me to buy a journal and just start writing down things I had to be grateful for. So I... I thought, okay, so at the end of every day, I'm going to get my journal out. I'm going to write just 10 things. I'm going to reflect back on my day and write 10 things that I had to be thankful for. And to be honest, when I first started doing that, I'd be like, hmm, hmm, hot coffee, (laughs) fluffy clouds. I mean, I had a hard time just like going, hmm. But the more, what is good? Yeah, yes. what is good? I mean, I, I'm always thankful for my kids, but I was trying to think of things that God was showing me all the time that I was missing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like all these blessings that, like, He's really giving me all these blessings, but because I was so down in really in a, to a pit, I couldn't see them. You know, I couldn't see all those other things. And so I started journaling things that I saw. And the more I did it, the more I saw God. And the more I saw God, the more I healed. And mm-hmm. so now, and then I would get to a point where I'd be like 20 or 25 different things, you know, like I could, I can see him in the wind. I can see him, um, I can hear him in breakfast cooking. 
I mean, because he provided the money to buy the food to feed me so I would be healthy. Um, I can see, you know, you just start seeing him everywhere. Like uh, crazy things, like I had a hanging basket hanging by my door and a, a bird built a nest in it, which I was first really frustrated with that because I'm like, really? Because, um, you know, they make a mess. But then I got to watch the baby birds hatch out. And then I came home from work one day and they were on my porch hopping around. They were learning to fly. And I was like... So, you know, what it sounds silly, but it was like, I feel like God allowed all, me to see all those things because I needed fresh perspective on what's important in life. And so, you know, if you're at a place where you don't really know who you are, maybe you just need to stop and start seeing who God is because that is really what helped me heal, is recognizing um, the goodness of God. Uh, Pastor Chris used to say, are you angry yet? Are you angry and I would say, no, I'm not angry. He goes, it's okay to be angry. Just don't be sinful. And that is true. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you have to process everything. And sometimes you do get angry, but just don't be sinful in your angry anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that helps with that is, one, forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness doesn't mean you agree with what happens to you. It means I've, I am going to let it go. I'm not hanging on to it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you have to forgive, even if it takes a long time. And sometimes you have to do it over and over every day. A really long time, but probably the biggest thing for me was I had to start recognizing where God was, and that book helped me to get started on that journey. Was recognizing that something I love about your story that you've shared with me at different times along the way is how God showed up through your friends. Oh my and goodness! Ways He provided. Yes. For you, would you give a couple examples of just reminders? how you were blown away with God's goodness through your friends. Yes. I, well, literally when I moved out of the house, which... You didn't me, have a choice in. You had to move out, right? Well, I would eventually have had to move out, but actually one of my daughters showed up at work one day and said, we're leaving. And I was like, we are? She goes, yes, we're going to go find you a place to live. And I was like, I can't. I don't have any money. I... You know, because I really was left with pretty much nothing. I have no retirement. I have no anything, even to this day. But I know God's going to take care of me. But I was like, I can't go look for a place to live. I have no money for a deposit. You know, I I can't. She goes, you're going. (laughs) (laughs) And this particular daughter, if she says you're going, you probably are going to (laughs) go. So I got in the car and we went. And she had already, like, called places for us to go look at. And uh, somebody, I don't know who, paid my deposit. I don't know who it was. Oh, wow. Um, Was it just too many memories in the house for the girls? Well, and it really was for me, too. I mean, we had lived, like, for two years with no heat. We had floor... We had these little space heaters that we heated our house with. And um, there was just stuff in the house that... We had black mold in the bathroom, in Mm -hmm. the main bathroom, where we had to just... When I found it, I had to just close the door to the bathroom. We didn't go in there anymore after I got... I tried to clean it. Um, But there was just... Our house was really in disrepair, and um, and there was a lot of memories there. And I was just afraid I was going to go out in the yard and he would be there. And I was terrified, honestly. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I was. I was afraid. I was afraid that I would turn around and I would look in the kitchen and there he'd be. And I, because of course he still had keys. Yes. Well, yeah. I, I at one point had the locks changed, but the locks the, the guy who came to did it to do it. He asked me, you know, he said, does this have to do with a marital issue? And I said, yes. And he said, I'm just going to tell you that I do this for a lot of people, but if he wants to come in, he can kick the door down and has a legal right to. 
And I said, I know, but at least I'd hear him coming. So I had the locks changed. But still, I just needed, I needed to get rid of baggage. Mm-hmm. Right. Does that make yeah. sense? I needed Absolutely. to get rid of that. Yeah. And so I started praying about it, and I thought, I'm not going to take anything with me that is not either from my a family, you know, like a, a piece of furniture from a family or from my first marriage. I'm not taking anything with me, and I'm not taking my bed. I'm not taking, um, I, just, I had decided I'd rather sleep on the floor in a sleeping bag than to take my bed. Uh, that was just, some things are just more like, I got I to gotta let that go. And it was the same right. bed that I'd slept in with, with John and with him. And I was like, I need to, I just got to get that out. I need to not. So mm-hmm. for me to process some of the grief, I had to let some things go. So I really, we went through everything. We, I knew I was moving into an apartment. And so I really fully expected to just move in and just have what I took with me. Um, but I really don't know how it happened. But, well, the, I know how it happened. It was the Lord. But who got that word out? But people just started giving me things. I mean, like, uh, somebody gave me my bedroom suit, and somebody that I don't even know who it is to this day, and if you're listening, thank you, um, gave me a new mattress in Box Springs. And that's not cheap. I mean, and they're brand new. They let me pick them out. Wow. (laughs) I know. I've never, I had never got to go buy new furniture or anything ever. And so I was like, oh. So then I went to look at when I I called the person who told me somebody's doing it. I was like, okay, these are really expensive. I'm like, I don't even... They said to pick out what you want. I'm like... So they just said, show up at this place and yes, pick what you want? Yes. And then there wow. was a lady in our church who took me shopping to buy a couch. And we walked in and she goes, well, go look. And I was like, I don't even know where to start. I mean, like, I... She goes, well, you have grandkids, right? And I said, yeah. And she goes, so you need something durable? I'm like, yeah. So we went over and she she and her husband paid for my couch and love seat. Wow. Um, I would go to work... And there would be this white envelope in my little box, and I would open it up, and there would be money in it. And then, like, right after that, I would have a need, and it was already taken care of. It was like the Lord said, I'm just going to drop this little envelope of blessing to you, and I'm going to drop this to you. And it was it was the Lord saying to me, you needed to go. Right, mm-hmm. confirmation. You needed to go, mm-hmm. and I'm going to take care of you. And he did take care and of me. And he did take care of me. Mm-hmm. He did. And literally, the first night I laid down in my apartment on my bed was the first night that I laid down in peace in a really, really long time. And everywhere I look to this day in my apartment is a blessing from God. I can say, so-and-so did this for me, or, oh, that was from so-and-so, you know. Uh, it wasn't all new. But it was perfect. Mm-hmm. It was perfect for me. And um, one of the things I missed from the house I moved out of was I loved going out and sitting on the deck and reading my Bible or just watching nature. We'd sometimes have deer, you know, come up in the yard, and I love wildlife. And I came home from work one day, and I had a bench with two pillows sitting on it outside my door oh. for me to sit on to have my quiet time. And, I, you know, I just sit down, and I went, Lord, you're just way beyond good to me, Hmm. way beyond good to me. And I just, I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. Um, I just, I just feel blessed in the midst of Mm -hmm. all of that. And, you know, and and you may say you're going through something, you're like, well, nobody's done that for me. You know, I don't feel like God's taking care of me, but he is. It it may not be that you got, got to go pick out a couch 
but um, He's helping you and He's walking with you. And we have wonderful resources at our church if you're in need. You know, we have a wonderful mission who has a furniture ministry that, I mean, I got a dresser from our furniture ministry and painted it and put it in our house. Um, we, we just have wonderful resources at our church for people who have needs. You know, we have divorce care, which is like trauma care if you're going through divorce. And right. you, if you've not been through divorce care and you're in the midst of it or you're at the end of it or you have been divorced for two or three years and you still need to go through divorce care. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a group of ladies that get together with uh, called Live Again. It's a study, a support group. Um, we like for people to go through divorce care first, but it literally helps you live again. Mm-hmm. It gives you resources and help to get you back on your feet. Um, you have to have safe friends. Mm-hmm. You know, so often people go through messy stuff and they start telling everybody. They put it on Facebook. Right. You know, it's like it's like they have this big billboard they want to put up and go, I've been wronged, and that is so wrong. Right. It's so wrong. Um, the messes you go through in your life are private between you and God. You do need some safe friends. Who will not put it on Facebook. Who will not put it on Facebook. <laughs> who you can just look at them and they know. You know, they just know. Yeah. And they pray for you. Mm-hmm. And they may not give you any, like, real advice, but you can talk to them and you know that when you get through, it's staying right there. Right. You need safe mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the church has blessed me. The people of the church have been the hands and feet and voice of God to me. And if you're not in a church that does that, you need to be. Mm-hmm. Because you need to let God's people be Jesus and skin to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. I feel like you've given us about 50 really good nuggets of, (laughs) wow, that was so good, and and that was so good, and that was so good. Susan, you are... You really do what Proverbs 31 says. I was just looking at that verse this morning that says she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. I just thank you for being that in my life. Well, I'm so, I was honored that you asked me to be on Afraid Not because there have been a lot of times I was afraid, but God says be afraid not. And that's right. That's right. We're that's, not afraid to tell our no, story. No, he wants us to be brave, and we can be brave with Christ Jesus. We right. can. Yeah. So. All right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. We just want to thank Susan again for showing up and telling us her story. Um, she is a very wise woman, and some of the things that I loved that she said was the hardest stage in life is the one that you're in, and how we look at life determines how we process it. Something that was really meaningful to me was how she talked about, as you're a mom in different stages, that you start on the floor with your preschoolers, playing with them and, and teaching them, and then you go to the bedside with nighttime prayers and how was your day and sitting by their bed and talking, and then you go to in the car, snatches here, snatches there, sitting at the table, hoping you can have family dinner before everyone's so busy, and then you end up back on your knees praying for them as they're out the door. And that really hits home for me. I really think that's the wisdom I'm, one of the things I'm going to really take with me today. So just remember to rate and review and subscribe to Afraid Not Podcast. Um, And also the music for our show, again, was written by Sean McCormick and performed by Aiden McCormick and Eric Wall. So shout out to those that we love. Thank you. And thanks for listening, everybody. Episode number 11 is in the books.
Have a great day.